0: The crackling of the Yuletide log brings joy to every corner of a troubled world. A poetic pastor of Market Lane Church of England, a man of 26 years, brought this joy to the world of music. That story in a moment, but first this joy found amid the Christmas wrappings of this friend of ours. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: the story of a young man who gave Christmas joy to a world of music. watts walked into the empty market lane church. He looked over the empty pews and he imagined them filled with people gathered to hear him on Sunday. Sternly, he told himself not to lose his sense of humility and to remember that this new important position in life should stir his gratitude, not his pride. But it's hard for a young man of 26 to completely abandon pride of achievement. Certainly, his own efforts had counted for little, in a long climb up, and it had been a long, long climb that began in Southampton, where his father was a tradesman and a clothier. Who would ever think that a clothier's son would become pastor of Market Lane Church? And yet, Isaac Watts had, after the struggle for an education, the three years of tutoring wealthy boys who would rather be climbing trees or riding horseback than marveling at poetry. Are the course of the stars. And so it was that standing in the empty church, Isaac thought that those years of tutoring were a blessing too. For those years had given him a chance to study, had encouraged him to write textbooks that had advanced his worldly success. But more important, from books for reluctant boys had come refreshment for his own childhood love of words and rhythms. They had started him writing poetry again. He smiled at himself. The poetic pastor, he murmured. Surely the congregation would pluck me right out of the pulpit if they knew. After all, what they want are serious sermons, not joyous jingles. Well, perhaps my sermons can stir up a little poetry in their souls. At any rate, it's a new life and a new country, and we'll see how it goes. It went well with Isaac Watts in his London church, but not for long. Perhaps a not-too-prosperous childhood and years of intense study had taken their toll of Isaac Watts' strength. And now his body had to pay an old debt. He became ill. To stand, to speak throughout a church service was more an accomplishment of a spirit than his strength. But finally, he could manage no more. It seemed to Isaac Watts the final defeat of his life. He was still young, and yet illness pushed him to the sidelines. Worst of all, during his years at Market Lane, he had felt that he was really of service to other people. Was he to lose that feeling now, forever? Isaac gratefully postponed answering that question when a good friend, Sir Thomas Abney, invited him to come down to the country and visit for a week or two. When the week or two vanished, he urged Isaac to stay on a bit longer, and then a bit longer, and then for the holidays, and then for the festival. And in time, the three-week visit stretched into thirty-five years, years of quiet haven for Isaac Watts, whose spirit was so eager for tasks far beyond his strength. There, by the winter fires or among summer flowers, Isaac Watts returned to his love of poetry. And what he could never say again in sermons, he said now in rhythm and rhyme. Into his notebooks he poured a wealth of over 600 poems or hymns, in which people could find their own thoughts written down for them to sing. The words sprang from Isaac Watts' talented mind. But they were ripened as well by Sir Thomas Abney's generous heart. For it was he who gave Watts the place, the leisure, the comfort in which to live and write. In time the words found their music. The piano was giving composers a new voice of expression, new ease of composing. And so it was that Isaac Watts, who wanted to serve both God and his fellow man... Does so still in songs that have outlived his sermons. Hundreds of composers have written music for Isaac Watts' poems. For Watts' most famous Christmas song, the music came from none other than the inspired Handel, composer of the Messiah. It was not Handel himself, however, who set Watts' words to music. An American composer, Lowell Mason, upon hearing a Handel composition, thought the ringing, triumphant music exactly fitted to Watt's poem. And so he mated the two and gave us our fantasy carol for today, Joy to the World. Joy! Wonder if there is a Santa Claus? You've never seen him, you say? Child, he's been traveling over the world for 2,000 years and a day. Let's listen to this word from a Santa Claus that's a friend of ours. Thank you. Santa Claus. You wonder if there is a Santa Claus. You've never seen him, you say? Child, he's been traveling over the world for 2,000 years. The day. Haven't you found his spinning tops, his dolls, and his round red drums? Then certain it is that once a year, the king of the far north comes. Never you'll see his crimson cloak, as red as a candy cane. Never you'll hear his reindeer hoofs rattle the window pane. But when did you see the man in the moon? or fairies, or goblins, or elves. Yet you believe when you read of them in books on your nursery shelves. The only things that are real and true are fantasy, fact, or romance. And the magic ring by the wishing tree where the feet of the pixies dance. Always. Always there's been a Santa Claus since that day in an eastern land when the angels sang to a newborn babe. My child, do you understand? Here we watch the passing parade of Christmas fantasies. As we roll back the centuries to the first Christmas, how a small babe's gift renewed the faith of a young king. In a moment, how that faith was restored after these delightful words from a friend of ours. is that story of Faith Renewed. Ever since the cold fire of the star had enveloped him, Gaspar had stifled his youthful exuberance. He had become silent, moody, and intent. His usual grace had been lacking when he had knelt beside the manger. His voice had stumbled over his speech of homage. His hands had been awkward in offering his gift. It was only when the infant had reached out a curled fist to tuck into his own tanned palm that he had seemed natural and at ease again. Melchior watched him and worried about him on the homeward journey. Look here, he said finally. You're not a bit the lad who was so sure the sign would be shown to him? Not at all the enthusiast who shouted, Tonight! We ride. What's come over you, son? Well, Gaspar pronounced slowly a very foolish idea. I'm beginning to doubt the sign. After all, science tells us that frequently great stars flash across the sky, leaving a trail of light and fire behind them. And I am wondering if, half-blinded as I was, I ever actually saw that star move to the west and halt as it did. Oh, yes, you saw it, too, I know. But do we know that the star we finally stopped beneath was the same star? Do we know, in fact, anything at all? All the time he spoke, Gaspar was miserably turning a tiny blue pebble over and over in his hands from one to the other. Melchior watched this nervous fumbling uneasily. Gaspar was in a bad way tonight. Thinking too much, doubting too much was not good for a man, especially such a young man. Unhappily he admitted, I cannot help you then, my son. Doubts and faith are matters for a man to settle within his own heart. Take it a bit easier. Let the matter rest for a while. And I think in time, your mind will be at rest and you will find your belief restored. Now, he added more cheerfully to change the subject, what's that little treasure you're playing with? This? <laughs> Guess I laughed. It's a gift. The little princeling gave it to me himself, perhaps as a repayment for my gold. Just a worthless little bauble such as any baby might play with and clench in his fist. Carelessly and contemptuously, he flipped it from him into the well where they were camped. And immediately, he and Melchior sprang back from the lip of the well in alarm, because out of that well shot blue-white flames, brilliant and blinding like the light of the star that Gaspar had seen, the star he now doubted. Recovering from their surprise, the Magi gathered about the flaming well, and Gaspar said humbly, "'It is a sign. Twice I have been blessed with a sign.' THE FIRE OF THE STAR IT HAS BEEN GIVEN TO ME AGAIN, SO I SHALL DOUBT NO MORE. And irreverently the Magi placed the flaming pebble in a swinging brazen bowl and shielded it from the desert winds, and they gave it a precious wood and oil to feed upon. They called to them one of their attendants, a man who had been lame and who could not be expected to share in the heavy work of the caravan they would make guarding the flame his sole duty. And no sooner had he picked up the brazen bowl than he walked again with ease and comfort, no longer crippled. This they marveled at, but they let the cup remain with him all the way back to their homelands. There they resolved that their family's vigils should be continued. And for generations they had waited for the star, and now they would guard forever its magical and blessing fire. And so it is that in Persia still, the story is whispered that the sons of the sons of the three kings keep secret guard, shielding the sacred fire atop a mountain where once the magi waited for a star. I could have been there to hear the angels sing, to see the bright star in the east heralding the newborn king. I wish. But before we wish together, let's hear the wishes from another friend of ours.
1: Together,
0: I wish that I could have been there to hear the angels sing, to see the bright star in the east heralding a newborn king. I wish that I could have been there to touch Mother Mary's hand and see her face of Mother Love. I think I'd understand. The Mother Love that filled her heart there in that humble stall as wise men came with golden mirror for the Savior of us all. I know that Joseph's heart rejoiced at the little Christ child's birth, rejoiced for this gift to mankind and the peace he brought to earth. I wish that I could have been there to serve where the need and meet the folks from Nazareth and do a neighbor's deed. I know that Mary's heart would give courage to other mothers, for in her heart she truly knew her son, was born for others. I wish that I could have been there in Bethlehem of Judea to see the wise men from afar who worshipped without fear. I wish the star had been my guide on that bright and holy night, and I had heard the angel's song, the anthem of delight. For unto you this day is born, a savior and a king. I know my heart would fill with joy at tidings the angels bring. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, to have been there then and heard the heavenly angels say on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In a moment, a PS to today's Christmas Fantasy, but first this word. Before you start claiming any special blessings under the mistletoe bough, take the warning from the goddess Frigga, who dispenses the kisses in the first place. She decrees that each kiss must be properly paid for, with a berry from the bough. And when the bough is out of berries, your lady has a right to be out of kisses, too. So when you pick the mistletoe to hang over your doorway this Christmas, be sure there are plenty of berries thereon.